0: Hey everyone, my name is Ross Garcia, co-founder of Survive Divorce and your host for our podcast, Survive Divorce Ohio. Today's topic is property division. And here to help us break it down, we're joined by Jackie Kemp, a veteran attorney based out of Dublin, Ohio. For over 20 years, Jackie has helped clients avoid lengthy legal disputes while preserving their property and their income. She handles all matters arising from divorce, as well as premarital agreements legal separation actions, appeals, post-decree matters, and step-parent adoptions. A skilled negotiator, she seeks a swift and favorable resolution for her clients. And when settlement stalls, she's a fierce advocate and litigator on her client's behalf. Jackie, thanks so much for joining us and welcome to the Survive Divorce Podcast, Ohio. I'm personally super excited to jump into today's episode about property division, specifically because where I am at here in California, we're known to have some of the the harshest divorce laws in the country. And a lot of that has to do with the way that we divide property. But before anyone can really begin to wrap their heads around how to start the process, it's really paramount that they understand their state's laws surrounding property division regardless of the path they choose for the dispute resolution. So can you shed some light on what the two methods that states use to divide property are, what differentiates the two methods, and then tell us specifically which approach the state of
1: Ohio uses. Sure, Ross. Um, Ohio certainly is an equitable division state as compared to where you are in California being a community property state. So the main difference for instance, in community property states, is that everything acquired during the marriage is divided equally. There's really no wiggle room unless there are certain things like premarital property or things excluded by a valid prenuptial agreement. So comparing that to Ohio being an equitable state, which means that essentially the courts are directed to divide the property equally in Ohio as well. However, the court here can take into account some equitable considerations if the equal division is not fair to both parties.
0: And so, what equitable decisions might you be referring to in this situation?
1: Well, certainly. So, for instance, you know, the court tries to be fair given the circumstances of each case. Perhaps the parties have a business they've owned together throughout the marriage, and it's their source of income. They're both instrumental to the business. Instead of awarding it to one party, Perhaps that's not going to be possible financially that the court may let this particular asset go without being divided and the parties become intercontracts as you know, co-owners of the business. So just some different, everything is very fact specific. Another example might be if the parties have a home, the children are in high school, it's the home they've known, it's the school they've gone to. And the I'm assuming the mother, it could be the father, either party. Whoever has primary custody of the kids may want to stay in the marital home, uh, at least get the kids through high school. So the court could consider the desirability of trying to keep the children stable in a situation such as that. So it just gives the court and a it, little more flexibility. And so is the
0: court the one responsible for making these decisions or can the parties decide to come up with their own arrangement to the extent that it's mutually agreed?
1: Certainly. Um, The parties are free to allocate their property however they wish. The only time the court is really going to study it is if they are in a trial in front of the judge fighting over property and how to divide it or what's marital versus separate property.
0: So if they can't agree, then the courts would get involved and then they would be determining what is an equitable distribution.
1: And by equitable, we're talking about what's a fair resolution for both parties. Uh, correct. Pre- the presumption is it will be equal unless some facts make it not equitable.
0: Okay. And so what, and so you also mentioned the difference between marital property and separate property, which is pretty consistent across state lines, but are we talking about just marital property acquired during the course of marriage or does separate property play any factor in this distribution in Ohio?
1: Well, it can. You know, generally speaking, the general rule is that premarital property, gifted, inherited, those types of things are not subject to division. So, if a person had a piece of premarital property, maybe it's a piece of real estate, they get married, they live in the marital residence, they start improving the marital residence, they renovate, make additions, things that really add value to the property that increase or appreciation in value could be subject to equal division, even though the real estate itself was premarital property. So again, very fact-specific types of situations. Another instance when a court may distribute a person's separate property is if they make what's called a distributive award. So that's not done every day, but the most um, common instances of a distributive award is if a party has been less than forthright throughout the process, meaning they're trying to hide assets, not disclosing the assets, fraudulently trying to convey the assets, you know, those types of things. So under those two circumstances-
0: And we're going to get to there. We're going to get to some of those good questions here in a minute. Um, What types of, so we're talking about property, are we just talking about assets, or are we talking about debts and liabilities
1: and other things like that? Can you explain? Sure. Well, the starting point certainly would be to identify all assets and all liabilities that constitute the marital estate, so taking out the separate property. The liabilities go on the balance sheet to presumably be divided equally between the parties as well. Again, being an equitable division state, you may have a case where there is no way one of the parties can afford to pay a credit card. So that may in fact get allocated to the person who can pay for it, but they are compensated elsewhere with more property. So absolutely for the most part, the debts are divided equally. Again, if someone was using them to credit cards to buy gifts for a paramour, then, you know, that's not going to be divided equally. So very right. fact specific, but generally equal. Yes.
0: And is there any calculation or rule of thumb? in the way the court makes these decisions. For example, you know, child support is typically a a standard calculation for assessing what that would be. Is there any calculation for equitable distribution or is it, uh, it's kind of fair game, I guess you should say?
1: You know, as close to a calculation as it comes would be the creation of a balance sheet or a net worth statement, if you will, which identifies each asset, categorizes it as separate or marital, the value needs to be determined. And from there, you allocate it between the spouses. You can play with those numbers to see if it makes sense if someone wants to keep the house and accept less of another asset. So if that answers your question.
0: No, that's great. That's great. And so what happens if if the spouses don't agree on the value of a piece of property? How does that valuation process get settled? And does it vary depending on the type of asset? For example, Obviously, if if the clients can't agree on the value of their marital residence, they can go and engage an appraiser to have an appraisal report done. How does that work in other not so clear cut situations where you need to value
1: property? Well, I always say, if we can find it, we can value it. So just as you said, if it's about real estate, you get the certified real estate appraiser. If it's about a coin collection, we are gonna find a specific person who deals in those types of coins. So if they can't agree on a value themselves, it will be appraised, or sometimes a forensic accountant may need to get involved to value certain items as well. For instance, a business, again, it's like an appraisal of the business. They're just called business evaluators to do that. So, but, or of course, you know, sell it. That's the best indicator of the actual value, sell it and divide the proceeds.
0: Right. And so let's say someone is super early in the process and they don't even know the extent of their own marital property, which is, you know, the case in a lot of situations. What would be the first thing that you'd advise someone to do to ensure that they're setting themselves up for success going forward as they begin the the process?
1: Well, certainly if we are just having a consultation where someone is thinking about divorce, what they want to do is try to be come in the know financially. So I always indicate, is there a filing cabinet in the home where all of the records are? If that's the case, you know, they need to start looking at them and identifying them, paying attention to the mail that comes in. If uh, the parties primarily bank at Chase Bank and there are statements in the mail from Huntington, you know, that's a clue that maybe there's an account somewhere that we need to look into. Talked if the parties have an accountant who does their taxes, Make sure you get a copy of those returns. Sometimes a great source for income information, but we can also glean some property information from the tax returns as well.
0: So making sure that they cover all their bases, go out there and do some due diligence, and make sure they do their, you know, give their best effort in trying to uncover everything that's available. Do you find a lot of cases that clients don't know the extent of all their property, and it does take some some due diligence and some legwork up front to?
1: to kind of get the full picture? Well, absolutely. And so if there's no way for a spouse to become in the know because they don't have access to the records. There's really not much I can do un- unless a divorce is filed. So I don't get my discovery powers to issue subpoenas, send out um, document requests, do a deposition. I don't get any of those items without filing the divorce. So at that point, that is how we would go about trying to round out what the marital estate is. If the parties are trying to reach an agreement, we call that a disillusion in Ohio, then we can ask the other party to provide us, you know, with a statement for all assets, debts and income. We're at their mercy to actually do it. So I can't verify anything. But if we find out later, Ohio is very punitive. If you are not disclosing things or being fair, At the outset of a divorce or a disillusion, you must file an affidavit of your property debt and income, all right? So at a minimum, each party has to do that. If we find someone down the road did not disclose something, the offended party could be awarded up to three times the value of the non-disclosed item. So there is deterrence if the parties are aware that that could happen to you. But and the court has their back
0: in, in those cases as correct. best they
1: can. But you don't always know. I mean, I'm sure some it. people do get away with it, but
0: yeah. Right. So let's say someone is prepared and they have a grasp on their finances, but it's, it's ine- inevitable that when you're, they're entering into unfamiliar territory, being mediation, litigation, et cetera, it brings about a bunch of fear, concern, worry. What are some of the biggest fears that your clients have going into the process? Of dividing property, and are there any of those fears that are more so myths or
1: unfounded concerns that you can kind of put to rest early on? Well, I think it's very understandable for people to be to be fearful of going through a divorce, but you know, I think the biggest fear is the uncertainty. They don't know if they're going to be able to stay in the home with the kids. They don't know where they may have to live. So those are very reasonable type of fears that, with the discovery process, we try to work through. Then um, I don't have unreasonable is the right word here, but you know, some people just have the absolute, they're convinced that there is a million dollars hidden somewhere that the spouse has been planning this, they're hiding the money. Um, and I, I bet 99.7% of the time, you know, once we conduct the discovery, we can get the bank account records, get the pay stubs, follow the money, look at the credit cards. And usually, it doesn't turn out that there is the Swiss bank account, so. Right,
0: right. So the process that ultimately works out in their best interest where, you know, you're gonna uncover, you know, using the law to get get through and uncover everything that there is to uncover. Is there anything else surrounding the actual equitable distribution aspect of this that we haven't touched on that you wanna add to this conversation?
1: Well, you know, just that it may be of use for the audience to understand what the court might look at in terms of the factors the court is required Mm -hmm. to consider by statute if they're not going to do an equal division. So those are things like duration of the marriage, again, the desirability to keep the family home for a certain reason, how liquid are the assets? Do we really want to keep them intact? What are the tax consequences? What are the retirement benefits of the parties? And what would the cost of sale be if they were sold? So those are just some of the other items you might want to consider that the court is required to look at if they're not going to do an equal property division and in, i might say one of, me, would... one of the other if i if i may one of the other interesting things in ohio statutes is that the court needs to start by defining the duration of the marriage which seems easy you know we got married on such and such date right ohio law presumes that the marriage goes until the final trial and the, that the property should be valued as of that date of final trial But more and more, we see people who have lived separate and apart for years and for whatever reason, they just never got around to doing the divorce. So our court does have the ability, excuse me, it's called a de facto marriage termination date to uh, potentially decide that the marriage actually terminated when everyone permanently separated. So that's your starting point to determine what date we're valuing the items as because you want that date to be uniform.
0: Got it. And and so if it were to, you mentioned that if it were to not officially, the marital classification doesn't end until the dissolution has been finalized. Correct. Correct. Okay. Um, is does that typically motivate people to get their settlement done faster or drag their feet? I mean, is there a better approach, you know, in terms of timing wise? Because California, you file for divorce, you can't legally get divorced until six months has passed. Right. Um, you know, kind of a forced waiting period. Do you have any of those, those waiting periods, um,
1: in Ohio and kind of give us a rundown. Sure. So if the parties have an agreement and do a disillusion, once the paperwork, the agreement is filed, there's a 30 day waiting period. And then we have the final hearing in a divorce action. There is a waiting period of 42 days should the party settle it immediately after filing so nothing like some other states i was talking to a client the other day who was in oh i forget if it's tennessee or it was a one-year waiting period and the marriage was only six months so that seemed a bit punitive uh, so ohio is pretty good that way that uh, there's not long waiting periods to accomplish things and how fast is a, a usual
0: divorce and you know obviously it's going to depend on the extent of the assets and what's at stake but what is
1: a typical settlement process look like in terms of timing start to finish? Sure. Well, if it has to go to an absolute trial uh, where the judge decides everything, the the Ohio Supreme Court has a mandate that cases with children should be completed within 18 months and cases without children should be completed within 12 months. So, you know, some courts are on a faster track than others, and that probably has to do with the sheer caseload that the courts have. And sometimes it goes over that. Especially these days with
0: the. right. Yeah. Of course. It's hard to get in the court. Yeah. Get your way in the court system these days. Absolutely. That's right. right. Um, Well, that's great. That's all super helpful stuff. I want to move on to the lightning round because this is kind of the the fun part. So uh, I have a series of questions, about six questions I'm going to ask you. We'll put you on a little shot clock here. You know, if you need more time to give a complete answer, feel free to take, you know, whatever time you need. Sure. And we'll kind of just run through these in succession. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Can you list for us the top three most valuable assets usually divided in an Ohio divorce?
1: Certainly, real estate, retirement accounts, and if the people are executives, they may have stock options, brokerage accounts, those types of things.
0: What's the funniest thing you've seen someone do to try to make sure one of these valuable assets remains theirs post-settlement? Oh kind my god! Funniest, craziest. To what extent have they gone to to make sure that they get what they want?
1: <laughs> well, I think, I don't know if it's funny or not, but if someone really wants something, they are willing to give up a lot more items, even if they're more valuable to them to get that. So I don't know if it's funny or not. Right. But, so maybe take it. Yeah. It's valuable to one 50%. person might not
0: be valuable to the other.
1: That's that's right. That's right.
0: Right. So what's the what's the silliest or the pettiest piece of property that you've seen a couple fight over, but also how much was it worth relative to how much it cost them to argue about it?
1: Well, you know, like I said, it's important to the people going through it. And I try to tell people you don't want to spend more money on me fighting over the item at issue, right? I've literally had, you know, kitchen type items, the blender, the juicer, they paid a lot of money for those types of things. So uh, I'd say the most things that parties fight about is when their family gets involved and tries to come to court because they want their gifts back. They want the wedding gift back that they gave, et cetera. So, you know, I try to divide and conquer in the terms of I'm going to deal with my client and not the entire family or else that's all that's going to be all day long. That's
0: great. Yeah, That's great. Have you seen ever seen someone deliberately try to hide an asset? And then again, kind of what's the craziest thing you've seen someone do to try to hide an asset, Whether it w- whether it worked or didn't work?
1: You know, Ross. I don't know that I've actually had a case where someone has successfully hidden the asset that I know That's about.
0: That's great. Um, That's a testament to you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that, but I, you know, I try to do my due diligence, so I just haven't All really right. had that scenario.
0: Right. Are people more inclined to hide things like cash or, 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 you know, actual tangible real property?
1: Well, you know, again, it just depends. Cash, yes, but does it make sense? If they are a W-2 employee, we know the paycheck. Why didn't the full paycheck go into the bank? Where is the cash? Mm-hmm. So either they have an answer or they don't. And if they don't, then we're going to act like the cash is still there. You know, once in a while, you may have someone come in. They may be a partnership in a, in a, in a partnership with someone else with real estate or LLCs and certain things that the spouse, you know, may not really know how that operates. So you need to find out.
0: What's one step someone can take if they feel their spouse is hiding property from them? And I know we talked about going through the full discovery process, but let's say they still aren't satisfied with with that discovery process. What's one additional step they can take to try to uncover anything they believe is hidden?
1: Sure. I mean, if there are the funds, I would love to hire a forensic accountant. That helps me. And that is just another expert to financially go through every item and leave no stone unturned. So a forensic accountant would be the way to go. What
0: what is the most or what are the most commonly overlooked assets in a divorce settlement? In other words, this could be something that a couple might not even consider to be an asset early on, but it might be something
1: that has actual or real value to it and it gets overlooked. Well, I think stock options might be one of those items if you some people working for a larger company may have been, you know, they're issued stock options, maybe they've never exercised them, maybe they believe them to be unvested and worth nothing. So um, that type of thing. A lot of times, if you're dealing with executive compensation, there are a lot of different type of incentive plans other than retirement and profit sharing that you need to look for. So you really need to do the due diligence, subpoena the actual employer to make sure that you identify all the benefits that are there.
0: That's great. That's great advice. Um, You survived the lightning round. uh, And you didn't just survive it, you crushed it. So it was a really good job. Thank you. To kind of bring everything full circle, you know, one word we love at Survive Divorce is survival. And being able to really endure the long drawn out legal process, albeit not as long as the California legal process, but you know, long legal process where there's often, you know, damaging or nasty disputes with the spouse ranging from, you know, things like property division or the children and kind of everything else in between mm-hmm. um, it's possible to get through in one piece because we see people do it all the, all the time. And in a lot of cases, they'll even come out thriving on the other side, but it's also exhausting. And I'm sure there's a lot of times where a client comes in your office and they're stressed, they're feeling hopeless, dejected, and this, they're having a hard time seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. What piece of advice would you give this person to help them get back on track, both mentally and emotionally, and to help them get from point A to point B?
1: Sure. I mean, primarily, you know, everyone could use counseling at some point. I'm not a counselor. That's not my job. And so I would certainly encourage them. There's no shame in seeking assistance from a professional during this time period and to. You know, not be so hard on themselves. I find most of these long contentious div- contentious divorces are much like the stages of grief. You know, you're sad, you're hurt, you're angry, and at some point uh, you just want out of it and, and everything tends to settle around that time if if settlements right. possible. but just to not right. be so hard on themselves, they will get through it. make sure they speak up if they have questions. The attorney doesn't may not know if someone is confused about something or what is the next step. So just just ask the questions, seek mental professional counseling, and be patient with yourself.
0: No, that's great. That's great. I mean, I think it's, it's, you're right in that everything does get magnified, you know, emotionally when you when you start something like this, especially something that could potentially be contentious. And so, for them to be able to put things in perspective, you know, sit back and realize that life is going to go on and they will get through it at some point or another is important thing for them to remember. So that's, that's super, super helpful. Thank you. Where do you recommend someone go? Let's say somebody is a self-starter and they want to go get some information on their own about property division, equitable distribution in the state of Ohio, et cetera. What's, What's one resource that you'd recommend them going to check out on their own?
1: Well, you know, right now with the internet, you can search just about anything. So, you know, certainly going to the state statutes themselves would be a wealth of information, maybe not always easy to read. I'm sure if you, there are many blogs out there that, you know, just a wealth of information that would be on the internet or, you know, you don't have to file the divorce to have a consultation with an attorney. So maybe uh, you discreetly consult with someone just to hear it, you know, straight up and, I think that's probably the best.
0: Do you thing. offer, do you offer free, a free one hour consultation
1: or how does that work? If someone wanted to engage with you, you know, I, it's not free. I do charge $200 for an initial consultation that lasts an hour. It's worth every penny. I'm sure sh- as I'm sure Well, I hope it is. Um, I hope so.
0: Where could the listeners find you online website, social media, tell us where they can find you.
1: Certainly I have a website. It's a www.kemp.com lawgroup.com. And I also have a Facebook page, Kemp Law Group.
0: So fabulous, fabulous. Well, that's great. I know this is going to, this, this episode is going to get a lot of traction. It was very, very thoughtful and insightful. Um, and I really can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your busy, busy schedule to join us on the show today.
1: I'm happy to do it, Ross. Thank you for having me. All right.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of survive divorce podcast, Ohio, for access to more great interviews in your state, Please be sure to subscribe to our channel and follow us on social media. Also, be sure to subscribe to our parent podcast, Divorce Money Mindset, where we talk about all things divorce with a focus on money and mindset. We'll see you next time.